Hello, hello, y'all. Welcome to the Janae Franco Show. I am really excited to be here with you today. And I am especially excited to bring my friend, Courtney Leong, on here today to discuss all of the wonderful things that she is doing. And um, just to start out, she is the president and founder of Freedom After the Trauma. She is becoming an expert in trauma-informed care because it is something that she is just so passionate about and God has just given her such a unique mission to share about this in the world, in the church, and for all of us. So I just cannot wait to get this party started. Courtney, welcome. Oh, Janae, you are so awesome. Thank you so much for that welcome. Love getting that party started, girl. Let's go. That's right. Let's get it started. So tell us a little bit about what what brought you here today and what you do and what your passion is um, that you have been working so hard on. Okay, so what brought me here today is you and the Holy Spirit, obviously. Uh, you, my sweet friends, um, we just have these phenomenal conversations. And mm-hmm. I know that there's been multiple times where like, before you started your podcast, actually, it was like, this sounds like we're doing a podcast. We, we need a <laughs> microphone in front of ourselves. Yeah, so I think it just got to a point where we were like, this should be on a podcast, we should actually really talk about this on a podcast so that people can hear. You gotta love podcasts, because we get to have this one on one conversation for the world mm-hmm. to hear. <laughs> It's so, mm-hmm. it's so fun. <laughs> and it's such a conversation that needs to be had. You know, this is something that you're really mm-hmm. passionate about. And it's something that I've come to be very passionate about as I've gone through my own healing and my own discovery of what it looks like to find freedom mm-hmm. after just the many things that I have been through personally. And I would love for you to just speak a little bit to, you know, we've been through so much as a whole, as a whole world in the last few years. I think no, none of us really have the ability to say, oh, well, I haven't gone through trauma, whatever our opinion might not be. Anymore. Not, not anymore. No. <laughs> not anymore. So mm-hmm. what would you like to say if somebody is sitting here listening to this and they're just like, okay, so maybe I have like, what, what next? Like, what is it? What is it that you've seen has been so transformative about going through this process? Well, I think what's important is, is that um, we have to be aware of a lot of things. And one in, in, in general is that our mainstream systems, medical, educational, legal, all of them, I don't think they were intentionally designed for wholeness and transformative healing. I think it was predominantly designed for let's just keep everyone's head above water, which is basically in survivor mode. And it has presented a narrative to the world that those who experience trauma are broken beyond repair. And so we don't fix things that are broken beyond repair. If you've got a old junker mm-hmm. of a car that you drive into it to a mechanic and they tell you this thing is on its last leg, it's going to cost you more to repair it than just buy a new car that's broken beyond repair. And so you're not going to spend the time, the resources, money, all the things to, to make this car new. You're just going to keep using it. You're going to drive it till it dies. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, if it's an, you know, but in society, what we don't understand is human beings. We're not things. We're not broken. We're wounded. Mm -hmm. But when we have this broken beyond repair mentality, all of our services turn into a hospice at best turns into making everyone as comfortable as possible until they die. But that's not helping people become who they're called to be. It's not giving them the Mm -hmm. ability to heal and move forward. So I don't want to poo-poo mainstream systems. I know that they're trying. I know that there are people who are in it that are doing a really good job and really love and care, but they're burning out. And I think it's because they're missing it. When you have You know, we've talked about this many times in our conversations and what we've learned is our reticular activator system, right? That RAS, anything that we put in it, we're going to multiply. And so when you have people who keep seeing everyone is broken beyond repair, you run into a number of things. One, those who do experience trauma don't want to believe it. They will sit there and say, no, no, no. And they will bury it thinking that it's such a stigmatism to say they've experienced trauma. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because we have an entire system that treats people with trauma that are broken beyond repair. And what's mm-hmm. worse is, is that we don't have a system that really is equipping the person. So I have my own personal stuff. You and I've talked about that. That's probably for a whole other podcast. So stay tuned, guys. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> <laughs> 
whole other five podcasts. I'm just kidding. Um, but I do have my own trauma, right? Some pretty deep, dark things. And, and all too often what happened when I was working on my own healing process was I kept running into walls in the systems because it was an issue of they're not, they're underserved, they're underfunded and they're undereducated. And I think I was, I think it's just to get a plug for West of Perfection, uh, Maria Spears and Aaron Bendeboard and Kay Wathen and uh, Cecilia Papas, go check them out. They had said something about how um, if you can't find it, you must create it. Mm-hmm. And they probably mm-hmm. got that from someone else too, but I've seen them really explain that lately. So it's like, I, I love it because it's, you know, you learn so much from one another. So I got to a point where I started asking myself the question, is this it? I would go to therapists, work with them. And they, and I had multiple therapists going, oh my gosh, Courtney, we can't help you anymore. You've done all the things. And I've had other doctors who had said, wow, this is the best you get. You're just mm-hmm. going to have to live with this body and with this mind and with this soul. You know? And and then you get the church, which I love the church dearly, but it's this spiritualization of jump into forgiveness. It's like, uh, just do your forgiveness and get moving on. And, and then when things don't seem to work out further, the bottom line is these systems are unfortunately designed to put all the responsibility and weight of healing on the traumatized person. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is in any other area of life, that doesn't make sense, Right. <laughs> Yeah. So if someone is sinking in the water, you're not going to sit there and go, wait, let me give you a few anchors. <laughs> let me throw. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes here, total let sense. Me let me give you the ingredients of building your own boat. So here are a few boards. Here's the thing, bag of nails. Here's, and then expect the person that's drowning or floating in the, in the middle of the ocean to build their own boat. Oh, that's a that's a good analogy. Like that's completely ridiculous. <laughs> like, and what's interesting to me is if you had not had the experiences you had, like you wouldn't be here today, you know, because obviously right. you have a passion about it, you know. And mm-hmm. I love hearing, I just love hearing you talk about it because it's so apparent how good God is, even in the midst mm-hmm. of all of this, you know. And I remember yeah. one of the most beautiful conversations I had with you just to address one of the things I hear some people, they'll talk about like big T trauma or little T trauma and all of, you know, kind of like categorizing, which I think we've talked about before. Like there's a place for that in a certain Mm -hmm. sense, you know, there's going to be a different healing process for someone who has been through one type of trauma versus another. And I just remember I was kind of in the middle of processing something in my own life, something I hadn't really seen as trauma before and just kind of a new light. And I knew, I knew kind of what you had been through. And in my mind, I was like, well, Courtney has been through more than I have. And so it, it almost was like, I was trying to justify or just like, it was almost like, well, there's no way that she can like love me and see me in that um, mm-hmm. or acknowledge it. It almost felt like I was shoving down what I'd experienced, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. in order to like, because I was like, well, it's not that. So I'm curious. Uh, I mean, that was just one of the beautiful conversations that I remember having with you. Like if there's somebody here that's like, well, I haven't been through this or I haven't been through that. Um, I think what I want to say is just like everyone, and I, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, but every everybody's like trauma is trauma. If it has affected you, if it has wounded you, mm-hmm. it can any any wound can get infected, whether it's mm-hmm. like a complete like giant cut across the abdomen or it's this little paper cut, anything can get infected. And once it's infected and it starts festering, like you could die from it, you know, <laughs> ultimately. The iron. And the irony, it ends up being, so I'm an army vet when I was in the army, they really trained a lot about keeping your feet well protected because if your feet get injured, you're dead. You have to be careful. And talked about, and I thought it was interesting, if you bring this up, I remember one of my drill sergeants talking about some of the most deadly wounds are the smallest ones Mm. because they get ignored. Mm, yeah some of the deadliest wounds a simple cut that would have normally been easily fixed and dealt with right away because people have look at this lie that the enemy has done such a good job of invading 
and twisting in our lives. As you're, it gives me tears. You're saying that Courtney can't possibly see me and love me because my trauma is too small. My experience is too small. And it's funny because the same lie is said that could be said from my side of it, saying my stuff is too big. It's too much. It's mm. too dark that no one can see me and love me. And going back to that, what the that drill sergeant explained, when we ignore the small wounds that could be taken care of because we don't give them the value of the fact that they're the wound, they end up becoming the deadliest because it's a, it's any opening into our body allows for impurities, bacteria, things of that nature to fester in. So we like mm-hmm. that into, um, I, I love this because I have, I guess I'm raspberry. She had shared with me, um, I'm going to laugh. She's going to be like, what? This podcast? How did that become about me? But anyway, she shared <laughs> with me this beautiful article that was talking about how the, the, the demonic and the enemy gets into our, into our, our lives. And one is through wounds. And I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Because a physical wound, if not tended to, gets infected and festers and eventually can cause death or loss of limbs, right? Loss of body part. So... Mm-hmm. I remember that really sitting home with me that because you you get so focused on the larger wounds. Don't get me wrong. We should. We don't want to say, sorry, I got to take care of this paper cut. (laughs) But we can't ignore it is is the thing. Um, We were talking about this before. It makes me think about just apparently I've been really on this kick of using water as an experience. And I think mainly because if you live in a desert, I'm really sorry, friends, because I think for the most part, we understand water. Even if you live in a desert, you have to have a bathtub somewhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the point that I'm making here is, is that everyone's wet. And the irony is, is that it's the people who are getting splashed that don't realize how wet they're becoming. And so it's so much easier for them. This is what we call these little T traumas, you know, and little T trauma and big T trauma. What's the purpose of it? Well, it's some ways it's important to see the differences because of the fact that we don't want our minds going to the most extreme when it doesn't need to. But when we use it to devalue who we are and to devalue our own journeys, now they become, it's become a weapon instead of an actual tool. Because mm-hmm. little T traumas over time will turn into big T trauma. Your body will feel that. So if you think about you're on the edge of a lake and you're getting splashed or you're in a boat and you're getting splashed and you're seeing these people that are deeper because they're going through more. If you keep going, it's okay. I'm getting water in the boat. It's not a big deal. They have it worse. Eventually it's, it's such a slow fade. You don't even realize that your boat has been completely swamped. Because we are built to overcome things. Mm-hmm. We are built to survive. And so we can just make ourselves more comfortable and more survivor mode, if you will, mm-hmm. to where we accept more water, so to speak. That's so true. And, and I mean, for me, I noticed, now you could argue, you know, I've told a little bit of my story before. You could argue some of it's big T, some of it's little T. It doesn't really matter. I think for me, what I what I saw that was so insidious once I noticed and once I started kind of dealing with it was just how far out it was. It was almost like the, just the ripple effect of how far out there's a little what began as such a even if it was a big wound, whatever. What began as one thing just grew into this just like multiple you know, multiple paths, multiple wounds. Um, you know, I did some work and I know you're familiar a little bit with Bob Shoots. The Be Healed mm-hmm. book was, was the first, one of the first things that I had read, mm-hmm. which was really kind of opening up this idea of the tree with the roots and um, seeing how so many of the things that I was dealing with, I was playing like whack-a-mole, you know, trying mm-hmm. to deal with this or that or this or that. And then it was like, wait a second, it actually all kind of has one point, you know, and for me, the, the biggest wound was that I lost my trust in God, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. through all of these little things, I, th- I said that I trusted him and I lived a life that was very dedicated to him. But in reality, there was a whole lot of self-reliance in there. And it's mm-hmm. obviously something I'm still working on, but 
Um, I think that that's one of the biggest things that can come from ignoring that is this insidious, mm-hmm. it's like self-referencing the self-reliance where it's like, I didn't, I didn't even notice it really. Like I didn't even have that word to put on it until like June. <laughs> right. Well, you know, what's so funny about that is, is that girlfriend, we're exactly the same. Our mm-hmm. traumas, regardless of how big or small, bottom line is, is that living in a wounded world, we have to understand, first off, trauma means wound, FYI, it's a Greek it literally mm-hmm. translates into that. Look at the etymology of words. Everything else will give you this flowery, wonderful, long, drawn-out explanation talking about how some time in France, someone stubbed their toe and they said this, and this is where it came from. But it's one of those things where <laughs> trauma <laughs> literally translates to, word, to the word wound. Mm-hmm. So if you ask someone if they've had trauma, they'll go, no. If you go, well, have you been wounded? Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Same thing, but Okay. But I was just, you just, this beautiful image just popped in my head as you were saying this. And I'm thinking it's the difference between an acorn and a seedling tree. If you really think about it. Because an acorn grows what? Uh, I think it grows an oak. It does. It grows. It grows <laughs> a giant oak. It grows a giant oak tree. Have you seen the size of the acorns? Mm-hmm. You know, I have lots I've of them in my house right now. Yeah, right. I've seen some <laughs> that are so that are so tiny, and I've seen some that are pretty big. They have big seeds, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a seed, and to think that a hundred foot, you know, wide oak that you can't even hug if you wanted to because it's so wide came from a little acorn seed, right? Mm. And so that's what you're dealing with: is that regardless of the size of the seed if you will right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then i'm also thinking of um i'm also thinking of uh when you go to like to lowe's or to home depot and you're wanting to buy trees right most people do not want to wait for the seed Mm -hmm. so isn't that interesting it's like on one level we went with trauma and, and wounds and all of that it can start with a small seed or sometimes the situation could actually be so huge that it's a larger tree. It's already grown. And why? Because that the person or persons that are c- causing new trauma have their own crap that they're dealing with. Their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That phrase, hurt, hurt people, hurt people. Is that kind of what you're right. talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Hurt people, hurt people. But I also think it's funny how, um, Look at how our society does this. Sorry, my brain is just going, whoa, this is amazing. This is how I, I, I'm getting entertained with this new idea. And it just says, I get to tell you. So <laughs> <laughs> I love my it. Brain works. But people who want to have trees in their yard do not know how to cultivate a small seed. They're not going to build it. They're not going to grow an oak tree with, a, with an acorn. For many reasons. One, because they feel like they can't, they don't have the right soil, they don't have the right materials, resources, or they're impatient. So what do they do? (laughs) They go to the store and they get an oak tree that's already growing. And they bring that back and plant it. Now, the reason why there's this coalition here is because we do this, we either see it with what we with fruit, the things that we want, we want to rush ahead of time. Or we want to completely dismiss the seed because of that level, that, that trauma is too small. So instead, again, we are always focused on the larger trees. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, yeah. Almost like a, you mean kind of like one of the fruits or bad fruits of that wound is what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to kind of cut off the branch when you really kind of need to get down to the roots. Is that sort of what you're referencing? Well, I'm referencing that. The thing of it is, is that, <laughs> okay if you're if your listeners hate me after this and, and give you a lot of frustrated messages you'll know why but <laughs> pretty sure they won't let's continue this is going to sting a little when we ignore the seed it grows into an oak tree and so we're more willing to pay attention to the seedling trees that are already above the surface that we we don't we we completely dismiss and ignore the wounds mm-hmm. we have because they're acorns. 
Mm-hmm. With that. And, and, and um, it's another thing, another thing's happened. One, it can be just complete devaluing ourselves, not seeing our worth and just trying to help everyone else, that codependency, if you will. Mm-hmm. Then you have the other extreme of sin, which is narcissism. Thinking you're, you know, hating yourself, but at the same time, thinking you're better than everyone else. And so there exists this level of arrogance of, oh, mine is just a seed. We need to go take care of this tree over here. And it's just reminding me of, not, was that scripture saying, stop pointing out the, the, the splinter in someone else's eye and pay attention to the log of the noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I thought about that scripture was like, how is it a log? I mean, you would, your whole head, I'm very literal sometimes. <laughs> I thought about that too. You're not the only one. I'm sure. And then I realized something. It's, it's all a splinter. But when it's up close, it's more of a log. Hmm. So the point is, is that we all, we, every single one of us have the capability in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls to cultivate good fruit or to cultivate um, toxic fruit. And so to sit and look at and, and diminish our wounds of saying, oh, it's just so little. You know, mm-hmm. we're, I think, I, I think we've already decided for this podcast, we're not going to get into my stuff. But people, when they hear my story, they're like, I've had people say, oh, Courtney, thank you so much. You just reminded me I have nothing to complain about. Yeah. yeah. I get enraged. I'm like, no, you do not. How dare you put the responsibility of your wholeness and your walk with God on my shoulders? Don't do that. Don't do that. Because when you hear people's stories, you just receive them. But the point mm-hmm. that I'm making here is, is that every single one of us whatever the size of the trauma at giving any given time in its history and its timeline started from a seed. Mm -hmm. And we all have the equivalent of having a giant forest of trauma. There's a, there's a movie. I can't place the movie, but um, one of the ways that God spoke to me through my trauma was bringing me back to um, an image, right? I mean, all of our brains, like all the thoughts, what is it? Maybe St. Thomas Aquinas says that all thoughts are attached to an image. That, does that sound familiar? I, yeah, I think it's, is that? No, I think Aaron was talking about that the other day. Yeah. Um, either way. Yay, so, for, yay, plug out for Purgative Way Metanoia yay, Catholic. Yay, well, I talk about Purgative Way and Metanoia Catholic yeah. pretty much every episode. It's shocking it's yeah. taken this long for it to come up. Um, so Aaron but, and Matt, congratulations, you taught us well. Okay, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But at, what, I'm, what I'm saying is I remember this image, right, in my mind, and that's really what God brought me back to. And I, it makes me think of the seed, right? Is that so many times I ran from that or I didn't see, you know, in that image, but basically in a long story short was that in that image, I didn't see Jesus in the room. I didn't see him with me. Like when I went back to that image, what I realized with the lie that I believed when I was nine or however old was that he was in another room kind of sitting like this, like just kind of like watching, you know? And so I believe from that moment forward that I was in charge of my own, um, mm-hmm. I, was, I was in charge of myself. I, was, I had to take care of myself. And not only that, but I'd take care of everybody else. And God may or may not decide he cares. And he probably mm-hmm. didn't. Even though, like, what's interesting, though, is that I lived a life like people would never have known that. Right. Like mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. and I thought I didn't even know that. All right. Like, so here I'm just saying that because I don't know who's listening to this. And you might think you kind of have it all together. But the reality was that seed planted just insidiousness throughout my entire life. But what was interesting is that God, when he healed me of that moment, which was, I mean, really, it was almost instantaneous in a particular prayer time. But of course, it took lots of work. So I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's not. Well, there's more roots. There's more, you know. There's more roots. But more, like that particular seed, mm-hmm. he was like, no, this is how it really was. And it was like a movie playing back in my head. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think of those time travel movies or something where you can like go back to this moment and then Jesus was like, no, here I am. And I saw him holding me as I cried, you know, like mm-hmm. he, he was holding me instead of being in the other room. And that was just an incredibly powerful moment to me. And it was just like, no, I love you. I could never abandon you. I, I will always love you. And I will always care no matter what mm-hmm. these horrible things are that I allow to happen to you or to people that you love. And so mm-hmm. I guess I, I would love for you to address because you you teased me with this amazing oh, I totally you had well you have to get you have well you need to give the question yeah so the qu- the question is you know and i had in my mind too is like how can god allow 
like if he's all knowing, he knows that this is going to happen in my life or whatever. Like how can he allow even what, whether it's like me to be created, knowing that I was going to be harmed in this way, or how can he be so good when these horrible things happen in our lives? Mm. Well, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit, because I think one of the things that comes up is, is when we say, you know, God is good because bottom line is it goes back to the, the garden, right? Mm-hmm. Where sin entered in, right? you know, we have to understand God's will versus his permissive will. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not God's will for us that we are destroyed and we put through, through the suffering of the world. His permissive will is different. His permissive will is realizing that he has given us free will and he has to allow us to choose it. Mm-hmm. So at, we are parents. You know, I have teenage boys. So you have very young ones. But how many times have you seen your child about to do something and you have told them multiple times not to do it? <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. you get to a point where you go, okay, I'm going to have to let you do it. So you understand. The only times you won't let them do things is like, I'm not going to let you run into the street so I can prove to you that getting hit by a car sucks. You know, right. you're not going to necessarily let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. But yeah. But for the smaller things. Now, for that, for your child, that when they fall and hurt themselves or whatever because they were disobedient, the whole world stopped. The whole world, everything was, it was a horrible wound. But you're over there going, oh, honey, you just fell down because I told you not to stand on the table kind of situation, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we can understand that as parents. Why would it be so hard to understand as God? My God does that. But I think the, the question went a little further in saying, if, how can God be so good if he's all knowing of what's happening? He knew it was going to happen, so why didn't he stop it? Because it's, it's just a slight nuance in the question. You hear what I'm mm-hmm. saying here? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. It's the difference between, well, why did God allow it versus, well, if he's all good and knowing, why did he not stop it? Isn't it interesting how oh, that's different, mm-hmm. right? So we can get behind. I, I know that was the case for me through my healing journey of understanding, well, free will. Okay, the Lord's not going to take away free will. He always gives free will to the point where he allowed, allowed his son to die on the cross. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but you sit there and you start to realize, what does God know? If he knows all of this, how can he still be good? And asking that question to Jesus, and this is going to bring tears, but um, it's because he had the pain first. Aaron introduced me to, I can't remember the, uh, the actor's name. Aaron, please don't give me a hard time later. But, <laughs> but he was Alfalfa from the Little Rascals movie back in early 2000. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, you know, he went through a lot, a lot of, let me say a lot of horrors in the, in the movie industry in Hollywood. This kid went through a lot. And he later left the Hollywood, left the acting business altogether. He has become Catholic and he just has worked on his healing. And he was in an interview and they were asking him these questions, basically. It was a lot of conversation. And he said, he started finding freedom when he realized that Jesus had the pain first. Mm. When Christ died on the cross, we focus on sin and I'm not saying we shouldn't, but we have to remember that he died on the cross for the sinner and for the victim. Mm-hmm. It was a very powerful thing for me because if our sin is wounding Christ and we understand that sin is invading human dignity, then the very wounds that are being done on our body were being done on Christ's body, on the cross. Mm -hmm. So the reason why he knows is because he received it first. Wow, that's really powerful. Mm It reminded me, um, I'm not going to say it the same way he did, but my husband and I were on a marriage retreat almost uh, like a year ago in February. So 
And the priest was kind of talking about this topic. And then he just mentioned something about how Jesus retained certain wounds Mm -hmm. and that for all of eternity, God chose to send his son in the image of the very beings that betrayed him. Right. Mm -hmm. And to take those wounds and that for all of eternity, God is looking at those wounds as that reminder. I I guess for us, it's, I'm not going to say it exactly right, but basically like he's going to, he's, he's looking upon his wounds for all of eternity Mm -hmm. because that's how he exists there. And so he sees the wounds. He sees the face of the ones that betrayed him. And yet he still loves us Mm -hmm. in all of it. Because we have to remember that God can do everything. Mm-hmm. And so we had talked about this a little bit about how um, people can have that misconception that they can't become the people that God's called them to become because of fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Because I was fill in the blank, whatever that trauma is. And what I believe is, is that the Lord, because he knew these things were going to happen. Why? Because the world is broken. The world is filled with sin because of the garden because of Mm -hmm. the evil one who wants to destroy souls and when christ died on the cross and he descended to hell he mopped the floor with satan and he set the captives free and then the lord made it clear to us the gates of hell will not prevail Mm -hmm. and so i believe we all have our own individual gates of hell gates of hell moments in our lives that were very intense whatever that trauma may be. And if we could look at that as a gate of hell moment instead of a fill-in-the-blank trauma that I'm supposed to be ashamed of, that society has done such a great job of twisting the narrative and saying it's so stigmatized, but then Mm -hmm. if people start to embrace the fact that they need to heal, now it turns into shaming them, even though it's society that's causing all the harm. So we can focus on that, or we can look at it as, as I said, a gate of hell moment. Mm-hmm. And when you see it as a gate of hell moment, what's beautiful about that is you were reminded that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of God. Mm. And we are, we as Christians are small churches, you know, mm-hmm. and not the size of a cathedral. So I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we carry Christ within our souls. Mm-hmm. So we become a small church, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if the, if the gates of hell will not prevail, and even in the most trauma- traumatic time in our lives, in the most darkest time of our lives, whatever you want to give it, the bottom line here is, is that we are not in a place where we can stand in a room and say that I don't have any experience of trauma. That some way, shape, or form, you have someone who can stand in the corner and be completely untouched. Mm-hmm. And so I bring that back to why we created freedom after the trauma. Right. And I created freedom after the trauma because of a number of reasons. The first one is there is always an after the trauma. Mm-hmm. What do we want after the trauma? And all too often, if we're not aware, it, it, it is, ends up being more trauma after the trauma, this constant cycle after the trauma. We see it in the right. language. I can't change myself because this happened. You know, I'm always yeah. broken. Oh, it's a family curse. Well, yeah, maybe it is a family curse, but it doesn't mean we have to keep living it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, anything can be cleaned and, and, and healed to the blood of Jesus. But we have to be willing to recognize it, right? Absolutely. So as yeah. I said before, my own personal journey. So, and I, and it's so fun because I have some people who say, oh my gosh, you're an expert on trauma-informed care. And I'm like, I'm not going to accept the title. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am becoming an expert of trauma-informed care. And the main reason why I say that is because it is a journey. And if we can, if we allow ourselves to think that we've become an expert, that we are the expert, we witness the fact that there's so much more that we need to understand. I can learn so much more. So I am, I am an, ex, an expert, not the expert. 
I am becoming the expert at that point in time, right? And so Mm -hmm. anyway, with all that being said, I have all my years of experience of overcoming my own personal stuff, also years of study, and then just going into deeper levels of study over the past two years. And I got to a point where I asked the question, who's changing society? We have a lot of systems out there that we hand to the traumatized people and say, go fix yourself. But who is teaching society how to show up for those that have been broken? Where are those tools? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I were to gather an entire, we do not have an industry standard in trauma-informed care. And if I were to gather all of the professionals from all over the place that have have some way, shape, or form trauma-informed care in their title and they teach it, and we put them in one giant room, I hope we could fill the room. Chances are not so much because this is a very... Um, uneducated, underserved, and underfunded field, right? Mm-hmm. Not even really a field at this point. And so what happens is, is every single one of them is going to give a different definition of trauma-informed care. We need a baseline. Mm-hmm. We need structure. We need an industry standard. And so what God has given me the gift through the trauma, you see, back to what we said before, the Lord wants to build a city on the hill. And he builds it, the material is from the traumas of our past, from the rubble that's been broken down, that's been broken down and all of the things. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why God has to equip his called. Because if he called the equipped, we would build an outhouse in the valley. And I will say this, that the Lord told me that. He's like, Courtney, if I, if I let you build this with your equipment, they're going to build an outhouse in the valley. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, well, Lord, um, that's very generous of you that we actually have the shape of a building. <laughs> I love it. I think it, just hearing you talk about it, your passion, it, it's just so contagious. And, you know, I would definitely agree. You know, it reminds me of just what we've talked about with Metanoia Catholic, what I've talked about here of self-coaching and either and just how many layers there are of this, you know, if we as just straight up Catholics don't even add coaches or anything else to the lift, if we don't know how to recognize and bring our seeds to the foot of the cross, our seeds of trauma, mm-hmm. so to speak, then yeah. how are we ever expected to help anyone else um, or create anything that could help anyone else? And so I think that's what's been so beautiful for me in our relationship and our friendship and, and all these conversations that we've had that we finally got to bring them to an official Official podcast. <laughs> Today, yeah, personal of our own personal podcast. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows what the future holds? But um, it's just been so interesting because it's really allowed me to almost self-coach in some ways and be able to, I mean, nothing happens without the grace of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've talked about this, you know, is to be able to bring mm-hmm. those seeds to Christ, even if I don't understand them, or like we've talked about that lack of trust in the Lord. Um, you know, letting him reframe those images in our own minds, uh, where, whatever those are, uh, being able to be aware is just so important. But what this work that you're doing, that you're building is again, it's so essential, you know, to be able to have counselors, to have, I don't know, therapists, whatever else, whatever kind of professionals, coaches, even um, any of the coaches in, especially we need the whole life. society. We need the whole All society. society. All of us because need to be aware of yeah, and, and in a lot of my conversations, and this is not to criticize those who have said this, it's just I realize that this is what society thinks, is that the healers that should help people heal from trauma need to be therapists. That some way, shape, or form, it's only in that realm. And I will say this, it would be so lovely if I could have trauma stay in a room. I would love to be able to go into my therapist room, bring the trauma there, and say, okay, you stay in this room. You're dealt with in this room. You can't interfere, interfere with my life. You are not allowed to do anything else here. You stay in this room. And once a month. That sounds so ridiculous day, when you say it. Right? But, but, but no one's realizing this is what I'm talking right? about. Right. No, you're right. You're right. You know? So once a week, I'm going to come in and we're going to deal with you. And we're going to talk. It. This, this therapist is going to be great. And then we will somehow have the tools and, and, and needs to go and apply it to life. But you have to stay in this room in order for me to do that. 
that doesn't happen. No, nope. it doesn't happen. You don't go into a hospital to have surgery on, on your nerves without your neurosurgeon making sure that you've worked through a cardiologist because we want to make sure your blood's going to flow properly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't have a neurosurgeon who says, sorry, I'm not going to fix the nerves in your hand because, well, you have a cardiac problem. So you need to go deal with the cardiac first and then we'll No, it is all encompassing. They understand why, because they see the whole body. Mm-hmm. So like I said, you see this in every other area of life, but when it comes to really seeing mind, body, and soul, and I'm getting fired up here, <laughs> you see mind, body, and soul and seeing it as a whole person, you want to, you know, we have people who say, well, Courtney, I love what you're doing. But go take that to the therapist. This is why it's not working, guys. Because we are putting only one area of society as the responsibility of, of helping those heal from severe traumas or little traumas. It doesn't matter. The thing mm-hmm. of it is, is that we need to create an industry of healing. Because industry, industry molds society. Society drives culture. And mm-hmm. culture defines human dignity. We are stewards of human dignity. And when we have good industry, we have healthy societies that create whole cultures that see the human person. But when we have evil industry, right? We have evil industry. It creates toxic societies that create a selfish and pain-filled culture that sees human beings to be exploited as commodities. And that's where we are in our society right now. Mm. Regardless of the, what trauma we want to intercensor in this model, we can see it. That's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And if we truly are sitting here, and it's interesting because you have some who can say, oh my gosh, it's so horrible that we're alive in this moment. Or we can say, this is amazing that we're alive in this moment. Mm-hmm. We were made for this hour. Yes. Yep. And it takes all of the darkness and all the crud you've been through, regardless of what it is. And you start to realize God's given me superpowers. God's given me the ability to do something big with this. And I don't know about you, but it is amazing and magnificent when you see the rubble of your past being Mm -hmm. built into a a beautiful piece of art. Mm -hmm. Sitting on a hill that from a distance people go, Holy cow, that's gorgeous. I think it's in the Japanese um, culture that when something breaks, what do they do? Have you heard this? Oh, gold. The gold? Yeah, the gold. They, they reseal it with the gold and it becomes an even better. Mm. It becomes even more beautiful. And it's beautiful because of its scars. Right? So I've created, yeah. we are creating a field of study with free maps of trauma. We are creating a field of study of trauma-informed care. We do a lot of things. We do conferences, curriculum. Eventually, we're looking for retreat spaces and things of that nature. But the focus right now is creating a field of study of trauma-informed care. From my own personal experiences and from me just studying and understanding myself, Mm -hmm. I got to a point where I was able to translate it in a way. So because of the past, the traumas of my past, I have become this interpreter, this ambassador to the wholeness world. And I have this ability of saying, I've had professionals say, Courtney, if we could just get inside their head. Okay, well, it's going to cost you a fee, but you're welcome to come in and have a tour. (laughs) I love how much humor you can do it all with, right? (laughs) Right. And so the point of it is, is that I have created a baseline general structure of what trauma is, defining trauma. Show understanding the cycles of trauma and how it needs to be healed. And what I would like to see happen is when we talk about niches and things of that nature, the niche needs to be a collaborative niche. We need to ditch the niche in mm-hmm. trauma. Okay, we'll make a t-shirt. Ditch the niche in trauma. Because the, trauma, the, the, the niche is trauma, is pain. So regardless mm-hmm. if you are working with someone who just wants to understand how to find who they are and be built and be bigger than where they are. I mean, there's some wounds there, right? Or something extreme. It doesn't matter. We have to look mm-hmm. at trauma as a spectrum. And, th- and there may be some who've experienced the entire spectrum. But the beauty of it is, is that we all have the same 
groups. We're all human. And we have a God in heaven who loves us, loves us more than anything. So when we understand that, but we have to bring everyone to the table, all of society yeah. to the table. And, it, and it, you don't have to believe in Jesus to understand this, mm -hmm. you know, to see that human dignity. And so I've created a course and it's right now it's, uh, we will build in, it's going to get bigger. Like I said, we're building a field of study for this, but it's called the fundamentals of trauma informed care. And it is to bring everybody. And so what I want to see in the room is, therapists, life coaches, mindset coaches, nonprofit leaders. I want to see an, a beautiful conglomeration is that a word, of people in the room because right now, and I'm not saying that it's not good that coaches and mindset coaches have their own room that they study in. But mm -hmm. when you stay there, it becomes an echo chamber. Yeah, absolutely. So we're building an industry of trauma-informed care. We're building an industry standard. And the best way to do that is to get everyone who is touching some way, shape, or form people's lives in the same room. So that they can, one, learn the basic structure that I've developed from my own experiences and all my training and studying that I've done. And then bring your own expertise to the table. Mm -hmm. Bring your own experiences. Bring your own understanding and then what's even cooler and i get super excited about this is now you have a group of people that are from different areas of life studying together and conversing together oh my goodness you got a network of healing oh my goodness you just created an ecosystem of healing mm -hmm. and so the way this can benefit and i'm just going to put this plug out there for those who are trying to build businesses if you're a mindset coach and you are, and I will say this, if you're a mindset coach, it's not if you work with someone who's been traumatized, mm -hmm. it's when you will work with someone who was traumatized because mm -hmm. if you're dealing with mindsets that touches the subconscious, that touches where trauma is buried. And so if you can understand that, it's not if, it's when. Well, the beauty here is, is you will have been working shoulder to shoulder with a the therapist or with a nonprofit organization that helps specific people in specific situations. And next thing you know, when your client that you're working with, you want to start unearthing things, you now have resources and you can continue to run with them. And Maria Spears, when she started working with me, she didn't know the sinkhole of trauma that I was dealing with. I mm -hmm. didn't even know how deep it was because it had been on lockdown for so long. Praise God, she didn't give up on me. Praise God, she was like, all right, we'll figure this out. But we had to create something. We had to be customized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing here. I could talk about this till the cows come home. If you don't have cows in your area, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly there will be another podcast at some point. So. <laughs> I think um, we've got a little over time, so. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's a good time. I mean, I think this is super helpful. I think it's essential, really, especially for those, like you were saying, anybody who has a conversation or is friends with or works with or you know mm -hmm. I mean any of this just because I've seen how being aware of this in my own life has been extremely transformative um slowly but surely I mean it's just been this like this thing this awareness that I've been able to bring to God and let him do what he wants to with it but it's been really freeing and I love that you use that word freedom after the trauma because I mean that that is what I have experienced from my own processing, you know, and sitting in the grief and sitting in those things and just, and it was not quick, you know, originally like one well, of the, I to talk to you some of the fundamentals too. Yes, you, you did. Well, right. of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say that. So yeah, absolutely. You in our conversation necessarily, but yeah. <laughs> right. So it, we had these conversations about some of the fundamentals. I was like, Oh wow, that really actually makes a whole lot of sense. And so being able to take that back to my own prayer time and processing about it, I was like, Oh Yeah. That's what it was. And honestly, like just being able to put a name to it diffused so much of the drama in my own head. And it really made it less, you know, we're not, we don't have any more time for a long conversation, but it really made it less about me and more about what God was creating out of this rubble. It was like, it doesn't mean that I, like, I don't have to walk away with this. Like I am broken because really we all just all are human and we're all in our humanity all the time. And so yes, essentially we are, but at the same time, like, we have endless ability to access the grace 
of the cross, you know, to be able to, I say endless ability, like, you know what I mean? We're Obviously, not, we're not, no, we're not, we are not broken beyond repair. Precisely. That's what you said. We're not broken beyond repair. Like we can be healed. And I've watched, I've seen and experienced God heal that in me. And so that's why I love talking to you about this, because I think it's so important to have that hope even. And that's what really gave me hope in the middle of this. I remember listening to Heather Kim on the Abiding Together podcast, and she was talking about this. Time, like, yeah, they're amazing. Amazing. I think their healing charism just jumps right through the podcast and into your it, heart. It does. It does. <laughs> I have. I have had. I've had to learn that if I'm going to listen to that podcast, I cannot plan on anything. <laughs> you know, I, it's like I thought, hey, I'm going to be on the road for a while. Let's listen to the podcast. No, because then I can't see the road. So yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and pull over here and just cry tears of healing. Take a nap. <laughs> but what I remember just quickly, like she, she references time of healing and she's like, you know, God, it's like almost Christmas time. This would be like a perfect time to bring this healing to a close and like make it so pretty and packaged. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, that would be great. Cause it was, I think it was right before Christmas. It was right before I started some, you know, like six month counseling. Yeah. And, uh, but I would not be who I am if it weren't for those years really of like grieving. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, at least kind of, of course I didn't have the tools I have now, Um, but anyway, all that to say is that it's just so powerful to address this. I think it's amazing what you're doing. I look forward to having more conversations about it. If people want to find you, I will put the email. I think that the Mm -hmm. Courtney mentioned that that's the best way to contact them right now. Their website Mm -hmm. is slightly outdated, but you are welcome to go to the website link, um, or email them and just kind of find out what they're doing. If you're interested in the course as well, I'll make sure you have the information if you want to share that with a friend that you know would really benefit from learning more about trauma-informed care, uh, as I, I'm just so excited every time we get to talk about it because I think it's such an essential conversation in the world today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, thank you, Courtney, for your time. It was just such a pleasure to bring some of our real-life conversations onto the podcast. And I hope that each one of you took a little nugget away from this and it's just made more aware of what's going on in our hearts. I know I did. I have like, I'll walk away from this with plenty to think about and do journal about. Uh, so, and I just wanted to announce too, I've got a group coaching call. We, I announced it last week and we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, I'm also going through the purgative way, Metanoia Catholic coaching course, and I will be doing a coaching call with the thought trajectory model this Friday at 12 p.m. The link is going to be in the show notes if you'd like to join. It is just a free office hours group coaching call and anything else you should be able to find in the show notes. So thank you again, Courtney. If you enjoyed this, if you liked this, hit a thumbs up, hit subscribe, share it with a friend, especially somebody you think I'll be sharing this all across like all of my groups, just because (laughs) it was such an amazing conversation. Uh, I think Courtney has been so gifted um, through all of the things that God has done in her life. So thank you again, Courtney. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next time. God bless. Okay.